First Timothy chapter four, beginning at verse six, Paul describes a good servant of Jesus. First Timothy chapter four, we begin reading at verse six. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this reason we labor and strive, because we've fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance, with the laying on of the hands by the presbytery, Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Shall we bow in prayer? Father, we thank you for Jesus who came to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And we who love you and we who know you, Lord, that is the calling upon our lives as well, to be servants of yours. To lay down our lives for the sake of others, to give of what you've given to us so that others might know you as their Savior and as their Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would Indeed, uh, make us servants today. Teach us what it means to serve you. For we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. What would you consider to be the greatest compliment that someone could give you? It was many years ago that... My father left the church that he had served for 27 years, the congregation that I grew up in, and he did some evangelistic preaching for a year. And he came back one year later, happened to be going through the community on Good Friday. In our town, we had a Good Friday service where the evangelical pastors would rotate from church to church. and, And my dad was asked to share the message that day. And one of his good pastor friends who had been there probably over 20 years as well introduced him that day. And he said, you know, most of you obviously know this man. He's been in this community for 27 years. But then before my dad stood up to preach, uh, Pastor Virgil Rasmussen described my dad as a servant of Jesus. 
And as my dad told me what had happened that day with tears running down his face, he says that was the greatest compliment that I could ever have been given, a servant of Jesus. And that's what Paul describes to Timothy here in this passage. He says, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And believers, that is what our calling is to be. We are to serve like Jesus served. And Paul gives us some good insight as to what it means, what it really means to be a servant of Jesus. What is first of all, a good servant of Jesus is a diligent student. A diligent student of God's Word. Timothy's ministry in Ephesus was obviously a teaching ministry. But Paul wanted to remind him that before he could be a teacher of the Word of God, he needed to be a student of that Word. And notice in verse 6, he says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Now, Timothy had the privilege of being taught the Word of God from the time that he was a little child. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says that from childhood you have known the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise through faith and to salvation through faith in Jesus. And so we know that Paul had, or that Timothy had a godly mother, a godly grandmother that taught him the Word, and then he met the Apostle Paul, and that teaching continued. And just think of how blessed this young man was to have grown up in a Christian home, to have a godly mother, a godly grandmother, and then to be a disciple of the Apostle Paul. What a blessed man he was. But even though he had this good foundation in God's Word, Paul reminds him that he needed to continue in God's Word. He was to be constantly nourished. And that's a good translation of that phrase because it is written in the present tense. In other words, Timothy's study of the Word of God needed to be an ongoing practice. He needed daily spiritual nourishment if he was ever going to effectively carry out his ministry. And that nourishment would come, Paul says, from sound teaching. The words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. As I was thinking about this week, I thought, you know, there's many of you here today that really have the testimony of Timothy. You have grown up in a Christian home. You have been taught the Word of God from the time that you were a little child. Some of you have gone to Bible school. Some of you are going there now. Some of you are in seminary studying the Word of God. And that is a wonderful foundation for your life. But may I challenge you that it does not end there. Even though you have that foundation, you still need to be constantly nourished with the Word of God. You cannot live on yesterday's manna. You cannot just say, well, I've got this foundation, or I've heard that before, I know it all. Just as you need physical food on a daily basis, you need a constant nourishing of the Word of God. And I pray that you have found that to be a practice in your life where you are daily in the Word of God. 
I hope your only spiritual food is on Sunday morning. I hope that you don't come on Sunday and think, you know, I've got my, I got my spiritual food for the week and you're going to live off of that. You're not going to live off of that. You need to be constantly nourished. A good servant of Jesus is a diligent student studying the Word of God. Secondly, notice a good servant of Jesus is a disciplined athlete. Paul loved to use athletic terms to express spiritual truth, and this section is absolutely filled with athletic terms. So if those of you who are are interested in sports, you'll love this section. In verse 7 he says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The word discipline is the Greek word gumnazo. And we get our English word gymnasium from that. And so the picture that Paul is giving here, disciplining yourself for godliness, think of someone who goes to the gym and works out. Someone who is committed to exercise their body, committed to take care of the temple that God had given to him. And Timothy would certainly understand this because virtually every Greek city had a gymnasium. And so that word then really would would ring a bell in Timothy's mind. And and Paul says, you know, when you take care of your body, that's of some profit. It's, It's good to do that. But then he goes on to say that spiritual discipline is of greater value. Godliness is profitable for all things since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So it is worth the effort to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for living a godly life. In our heritage, we call that pietism, where we emphasize that when Jesus becomes your Savior, that your life is changed, you are a new creature, your taste buds are different, your desires are different, you live different than the world. That's godliness. And if people don't see a difference in us who claim to know Jesus, are they going to want to serve Him? Discipline, gumnazo, gymnasium is the word. Then in verse 10 he says, For it is for this we labor and strive, because we fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. The word labor is a very strong word. It means to toil to the point of exhaustion. Picture the athlete at the gym. Picture the one running the race. Picture the one who's practicing for that event. He is toiling. He is straining. He is working as hard as he can. Very strong word. The word strive is another interesting word. It's the Greek word agonizomai, from which we get our English word agony. And if you've ever run some of those uh, laps at the end of the practice or Uh, Killers, whatever you call them, up and down the floor, you know it can be agonizing. And the word, actually, it comes from the word agon, which was the stadium. 
where the racers ran, the athletic events took place. So you got the gymnasium and you got the stadium. And, and Paul is using these athletic terms then to describe what does it mean to be a servant? A servant lives a disciplined life. So a good servant of Jesus is a diligent student. A good servant of Jesus is a disciplined athlete. And then third, a good servant of Jesus is a dependable example. You know, Paul and Timothy lived in a culture where respect usually came with age. And so if a younger person was going to get any respect, it had to be earned. Believe me, it had to be really earned. And that's why Paul challenges this young Timothy to live in such a way that he is to be an example of those who believe. In verse 12, notice Paul says, let no, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Paul had much to say about the importance of an example in his writings. In fact, if you know his writings well, you know that he, he challenged people to follow his example. Would you ever do that? <laughs> Would you say, follow my example? Watch the way I live? Look at me and live like I live? That's what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 4.16 I exhort you therefore, be imitators of me. Philippians 3, verse 17, he says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Philippians 4, 9, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So if we're going to be an effective servant of Jesus, we need to be a model of godly living. So what if someone were to say to you, I want to be just like you. I want to live just like you. Some of them would say, oh, no, 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 not, not, not just like me. Well, maybe there's some things in our life that we, we need to deal with. Paul says, Timothy, you, you be an example. Be an example in your speech, how you talk. Do we speak different than the world speaks? Or do we use the same kind of vulgar language they do? Be an example in your conduct. Do we, do we live the way the world lives so that there's no difference between the world and us? Paul says be an example. An example of love. Do you really love people or are you just like the world lives? Looking at yourself and your own needs. How about faith? How about purity? A good servant of Jesus is a dependable example. And finally, a good servant of Jesus is a dedicated teacher. Paul repeatedly made it clear to Timothy that he was called to be a teacher. Look at verse 11. Prescribe and teach these things. Verse 13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Some of you are saying, well, I'm not a teacher. Well, 
I think you are. I think you are a teacher. Because people are watching you. They're seeing the way you live. They're listening to your words and they're observing the way you live. So we are teaching. All of us, in one way or another, we are teaching. And Paul is challenging Timothy to be faithful in his teaching. And I think one of the reasons why is because Timothy evidently struggled with using the gift that God had given him. Because in verse 14, Paul says, don't neglect the spiritual gift within you. He challenges him again in 2 Timothy chapter 1 to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. Don't be ashamed of of me or don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus. Timothy, you be willing to open your mouth and, and, and teach, proclaim the word. Timothy was a young man who was somewhat timid by nature. And so Paul had to challenge him. In verse 15, he says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. And then notice the promise. Persevere in these things for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. What is that called? Persevere in these things, Timothy. This isn't a 50-yard dash. This is a, this is a marathon. The Christian life is a marathon. A servant of Jesus demands perseverance. But Paul says to Timothy, it is worth it all to persevere in these things, to be absorbed in these things, not only for your sake, but just think, Timothy, for the sake of those who hear you. As you faithfully serve Jesus, as you faithfully teach His Word, as you faithfully live that kind of an example that points people to Jesus, just think of the eternal impact that you can have on the lives of those around you. My father was visiting with an old retired pastor many years ago. It was at one of our annual conferences. And as he was getting older, he was looking back on his ministry and they were talking and he was saying to my dad, he says, you know, you just wonder, you just wonder, you know, did I have an impact on any lives? Did my ministry make a difference? And he was really just mourning that, struggling with that. Wouldn't you know, as they were talking, here comes this lady walking by, probably in her 40s or 50s. And she said to this older pastor, she says, Pastor, you maybe don't remember me. She said, but I was in your confirmation class about 30-some years ago. And she said, I just want you to know that what you taught me made a difference in my life. Dad said the tears were just <laughs> running down that old retired pastor's face to think that his life had made a difference. That his service to Jesus did count. That his faithfulness to share that word with those squirrely junior high kids, <laughs> like I had this morning, and that congregation, to think that God took that word and he used it to change someone's life. 
It will be worth it all, won't it? When we have realized that God took our lives. God took the word that we shared. And God used it to change someone's life for all eternity. All the sweat, all the labor, all the discipline, all the striving, all the words that Paul uses here to describe what it means to be a servant. I'll tell you what, in the end we'll say it's, it's worth it all. Even if one soul comes to Jesus, it's worth it all. Those eternal dividends, those eternal treasures, when we've given our life to serve Jesus. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's our calling as well. Jesus said, you are not like the world, not like the Gentiles. If anyone will be great among you, let him be servant of all. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to serve us. And you served in the greatest way possible by offering your life as a sacrifice for us. You redeemed us from our sin. You gave us the gift of salvation. And you call us to be servants like you were. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so send I you. And so, Father, help us to lay down our lives daily as living sacrifices to serve those around us, Lord, the people that you've placed in our lives, our family, our friends, our neighborhood, our congregation, our community, and even to the very ends of the earth, O oh God, help us to be servants of yours. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit. We look at ourselves and we say, Lord, I don't have it in me, and that is so true. But as you indwell us by your spirit, you empower us to live our lives for the glory and the praise of your name. Jesus, we love you. We pray in your name. Amen.